Welcome to Scaling with Disha, the show that helps online entrepreneurs to scale their business to six figures and beyond without the hustle or the overheads. I'm your host, Disha Waddup, and I'll be here each week to remind you that you can do anything you set your mind to. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Scaling with Disha. I am so excited that you're here and you are going to listen to an amazing episode with Shahara here. We are going to dive into all things contracts and legal, which is going to blow your mind. So Shahara Wright is an experienced and highly sought after business law attorney and business strategist. She is the author of From Entrepreneur to CEO and host of the CEO Collaboration Circle. Shahara founded Contracts Done Right to help entrepreneurs and business owners have more access to contracts and business forms to help their business thrive. Hello, Shahara. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Disha. I really appreciate it. Yay. So tell us more about you. Tell us your story. <laughs> well, um, as you said, I'm a business law attorney here in the United States. Um, I practice in uh, the great state of Texas. Um, a lot of my work, though, um, you know, kind of spans the U.S., um, a lot of different types of things. And I act as general counsel for small businesses and really just what that means is that I'm the legal department for small business owners. <laughs> yes. So it's just, I do a lot of different things um, to help small businesses um, with, you know, their everyday legal needs. Yeah. And what is, so what does that look like in terms of legal needs? How often do people need you? What does that look like? Are you on dial up every day? Like how, <laughs> how much legal needs do you, because I know it's very different in the States with your, your, um, that everybody's suing each other and everything. We don't have that so much here in the UK. So what does that look like in terms of day-to-day stuff for you? You know, it varies. So I, um, you know, I don't do lawsuits. So, you know, I don't have to worry about that so much, but I do a lot of contracts. I think with most of my clients really, you know, it's mostly maintaining and ensuring um, that things are protected. So, you know, drafting contracts, reviewing contracts, making sure we have our trademarks and copyrights in place, um, making sure that there's no infringement going on, monitoring if there's any, you know, internal problems, making sure, you know, our insurance is, you know, in place, um, checking with the CPA to make sure, you know, everything's good with the accounts and there are things that we need to change up. So, you know, it seems kind of monotonous. And I know for a lot of small businesses, they feel like they don't really have um, a lot of legal issues. But, you know, when you get to a certain point and you're talking about, you know, maybe I'm just using this, for example, you know, $5 million business, um, you know, you're no longer really that mom and pop you know, type of business, you've got employees, you've got independent contractors, you've got vendors, you have a lot of different people that you're dealing with. And so a lot of contracts come across your plate. A lot of compliance comes down there. Privacy issues, as you know, um, are are really big, um, especially with everybody being on the web. So those kinds of things we have to monitor and ensure that, you know, everybody's, you know, in compliance. Yeah. What made you get into this realm of work in the first place? So I took a class in law school called business entities. And I thought when I went to law school, I wanted to be a criminal prosecutor. And when I took this class, I was like, I love this stuff. I really want to learn more about it. So I took a bunch of transactional classes in law school. And when I graduated, I just knew that I wanted to work with businesses and nonprofits. And so that's really got me there and just kind of bloomed into what the practice is now. So you started your own practice straight out of law school. 
Um, a little bit. I, I worked for two um, solo practitioners, meaning they had their own practices. Um, and I did that um, for like about a year, but they weren't doing the kind of law that I wanted to do. One was doing family law, which I hated. Um, and I knew I hated when I started. Um, and so it's just, you confirm that. Um, and the other one had like a general practice and did a bunch of different things, but I knew I really wanted to do um, business law. And so just the climate at the time that I came out of law school was really hard to find a job. So I just decided, you know, hey, I'm just going to start my own practice. I love that. And that's one of my biggest reasons for starting my business was to work with people that I wanted to work with. Yeah. Because I, even though I was working in marketing, uh, which is pretty general. I was working for a marketing agency and an insurance motorcycle company. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, I have nothing, no interest in motorbikes or insurance whatsoever. I was right. like, I'm just posting things on social media that I have no idea about, <laughs> learning words about motorbikes that I don't care for. <laughs> like, this has to stop. I have to do right. something that I enjoy posting on social media about right <laughs> and that's where my business was born as well so I love that synergy there <laughs> so how did you grow your business when you come straight out of law school you didn't have a whole bunch of corporate experience how did you really pick that up and run with it to scale your business Honestly, it was kind of like trial by fire, which I don't recommend, um, <laughs> by the way. Um, so, you know, when I came out, there really wasn't like this, you know, face, I'm, you know, I'm older y'all. So Facebook wasn't really a thing. Um, it wasn't a thing at all. Um, and, you know, you really had to just do the old fashioned networking where you go out, you shake hands, you talk to people, join groups, get to know people, word of mouth. Um, that really just was it. I mean, I did that for the longest time. I still do it. Um, you know, but that's really what it was. I taught classes. Um, you know, I spoke at different events, those kinds of things, just trying to get around and get, you know, my name out there in the type that I worked that I did. And, and when I started, you know, there really weren't a lot of females, still really aren't a lot of females in this area, a lot more than it used to be, but it really wasn't a lot of females. So, you know, having to be in different environments um, that, you know, were completely, you know, where I was the only yeah. <laughs> in the room and having to adjust to that as well. But, you know, it just really just took, you know, a lot of shoe leather, as they used to say, you know, and just having to go walk around, talk to people, shake hands, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. When did you transition to moving things online and getting getting COVID or was that before before COVID? Um, before COVID? I mean, so with the practice that I had, a lot of it, you know, once the courts and the state and stuff like that started allowing things to be done online, I was able to start slowly transitioning things because, you know, again, you know, back when I started, you know, we, you know, had faxes and, and those kinds of things and everybody didn't have to come in and we did have emails and all that stuff. But, you know, the technology obviously has bloomed over the last 20 years. So that has always allowed me to be able to work with my clients in, you know, kind of a productive way and not having to come to my office. But probably about seven years ago, um, I really just started, you know, I moved my office back home. I have an office, a regular office, but I started working from home more um, and, you know, created my own office here, was doing a lot more stuff via phone calls, not meeting clients as much, didn't need to. 
I live in a very large city, so driving from one end to the other could be like almost, you know, an hour drive. Nobody wanted to do that anyway. Um, so, you know, I always tried to make my practice where, you know, people didn't have to come in. So it was kind of there. I think with COVID um, and the pandemic, it just made it, I was able to streamline it a lot more than I had before. And it just really made me put in more processes to allow that to happen. And then it also opened the doors up, you know, for people in other places where I didn't have to be so local, um, where I have clients now all over the United States um, in different areas. And so it just made it, you know, opened it up where nobody felt like, oh, I have to have somebody in my city, you know, right next door that I have to go to and, you know, sign papers and things like that. Yeah, I love that about COVID. Like if if a good thing has come out of a bad situation, like opening up a business and being able to work with people everywhere has yeah. been fantastic. I, I mean, I've always worked with businesses all over the world, but if I've seen so many more people and I work with a lot of yoga instructors who have moved their businesses online and now can work with people internationally. Uh, yeah. rather than just you know their small small town and people who have to come to their studio so it's mm-hmm. been fantastic to see that at least come out of a bad situation in COVID so yeah, I think it made people more open I mean I think beforehand people weren't as willing to say okay well you know you're in New York and you're in Texas and I'm not really willing to work with someone so far away where now is you know even if they were in New York you wouldn't see them so it wouldn't you know you might as well work with somebody you know you you want to work with so I think in that that hesitancy to not have to like lay eyes you know on someone in person has you know kind of subsided and so it's really made people a lot more willing to work with people that are further away yeah have you built a team in your business or is it still just you so it's me I had a team before so I kind of went a different route a team before I had you know lawyers that were helping me and you know a full-time secretary and things like that and I just realized it really wasn't the law practice that I wanted like I didn't really want to do all of these things it was causing me just a lot of undue stress with trying to manage all of these different people I didn't particularly like that so um I changed my practice for a while where it was kind of just me and now I've built out I think you know I will have a, a legal assistant that I work with but I knew I wanted to just do have a boutique, you know, business, um, a boutique loss firm where it was just kind of, I maybe have 20 clients um, that are, you know, that I'm working full, you know, full time, but, you know, I'm working for and those, they're my, my clients and it would be easy for me to manage. That for me just made sense. And I, I had another client um, have daycare and, you know, she had a really big, huge daycare and she was like, I mean, you know, I'm just tired. And we talked about, you know, what that would look like for her to downsize. And she was so much happier. You know, I didn't think that that would be something that I wanted. But then when I saw her do that, one of my clients do that, I thought, you know what, downsizing might be best for me. And actually, this is probably the most money I've made when I'm smaller, right, (laughs) than when I was larger, because I was able to focus a a lot better and, and provide better services. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like I have done that before. I've built out a huge team and then gone, I don't like this. <laughs> this is this is what I wanted, but now I've got it. I don't I like it. Um, right. <laughs> I'm gonna change it all. And that's the cool thing about um having a business that you can do that with, right? You can just 
change your mind and say, no, I'm okay. Thank you. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to do something different and change it up. So yeah, let's talk about legals. What do we need to have in our business as we start to scale? And what is what should that look like? You know, I think for every business, just as we're talking about being online, being, um, you know, able to be in different countries um, and be um, accessible in a way that, you know, while it existed before COVID, I think it's just more real now um, where this is just kind of how the world is. And this is just how, you know, we're working now in these global markets. So I think really one of the most important contracts that you have to have, and I think people know, but they don't really understand is a privacy policy. Um, And I think a lot of people just think, oh, this is just some, you know, contract that I can go pull from, you know, um, Zoom you know, or, you know, Microsoft, and I could just take their privacy policy and take it and paste it on mine, because sure, their their legal did all the work, and, you know, we could put it on there. But the truth is, is that it is actually a contract. And I don't think people realize that it is. Um, It is a contract. It is a promise between you, your company, and the people that are coming to access your site, and how you are going to protect their, um, privacy. So when you don't know what's in there, you just take it from somebody else's and post it on there. You don't read it. You don't understand it. Then you don't even know what you're saying that you're going to do. And then when you don't do it and people are upset, then you're like, well, you got your own privacy policy. You're not even paying attention to your own privacy policy. So I think privacy policies obviously are a big thing. Um, It's definitely necessary. Even if you say you only do um, work in the United States or you only do work in the UK, the truth is that anybody can access your website from anywhere. So you want to make sure that you are paying attention. Um, And unlike, you know, the UK, you know, we've got In the U.S., we don't have like this one policy, like it's like kind of this hodgepodge of, you know, states and government and whatever else. So you really have to kind of take a broad view of these privacy policies and understand like, you know, you're going to have to hit a lot of different targets um, that are moving. So that sounds fun Um, to ensure, you know, that you have a good privacy policy that not only protects your business, but protects your clients, because really people want to know that you're, you know, that you are taking their privacy seriously. Yeah, we we had um, the GDPR stipulations come in in the UK in 2018. And I think it, yeah, I think it came in on 2018. And I know that so many American companies just stopped their us accessing their websites until they had sort of figured out their privacy policies. <laughs> they were like, we don't serve anybody in Europe right now because we don't know how to deal with that now privacy policy. <laughs> so we're just gonna I mean it's real because you know honestly we don't have a you know a federal privacy policy laws. You know, I mean we have we have several different federal ones and then there's state ones and so there's not like this one place so it really wasn't really until the gdpr came in it really i don't want to say it wasn't a big deal but it really wasn't um yeah <laughs> it really wasn't a big deal um and so i think especially for small businesses um they that's when they first really kind of understood and learned you know the importance of privacy policies and now you know states are starting to enact their own um and so it's becoming more and more important here um than it had been previously because now the laws are actually you know starting to be enforced and and being put in place when before they were not yeah and it's i I mean I, i worked for a company in corporate that um did get sued 
for for accessing people's data and using it without without being in line with their privacy policy, um, which was a bit scary at the time because GDPR had just come in and we were all like, ah, what do we do? Right. Um, <laughs> and but that was a big reminder to me as as an entrepreneur to be like, okay, I need to make sure that I got my privacy policy yeah. set up for that exact yeah. reason. That's not gonna yeah. happen to me. So privacy policy, what else do we need to have? So you want to add on to that web policies is, you know, what your terms and use are. And so I think this is another policy that kind of gets un- overlooked, um, you know, kind of this kind of just snatch and grab when I snatch from one website and grab it and put it up on yours. And I think that really it's really important. Again, it's again, any of these things are, are contracts between you and your users, but you want to have these terms of use about how people can and cannot utilize your um, website. And so, so especially for those of you that have like um, memberships where they can access videos, they can access, you know, forms, they can download things, all of those kinds of things are really important because you got to tell people what they can use stuff for and what they can't use stuff for. And I guess, you know, obviously there's always people who violate, you know, terms of use, you know, <laughs> you, you expect that that's going to happen, but that's when you can terminate the membership and say, hey, you violated our terms, you know, and use policies, so therefore you don't have access to the membership anymore. If you have to file suit, you can do so. Um, it gives you a lot of ability to be able to control how your content is used. Um, when you have a terms and use policy that says, okay, this is what you can and can't do. And then I'll add on to that number three is, I like to separate this sometimes, you know, attorneys put these all in one, but really I like to have a separate, you know, purchase policy and a policy that says, you know, what, you know, not with pricing, but, you know, if you purchase what the return policy is, um, you know, how to utilize it, if there's a problem, where to go, those kinds of things, you know, chargebacks, all that kind of stuff, where it's in a separate policy, um, where it's easy to read. Because I think for me, if you put it all in a terms of use policy, it gets lost because it's so becomes so long and people can't find anything. Um, So, those are like, you know, some of the policies, additional policies, I think that you have to have when it comes to, you know, your web policies. Yeah, I those those three, I think are perfect. What do you think about a cookie policy? Do you have a cookie policy as well? Or is that usually oh, yeah. in, inside of you something else? Yeah, cookie policy, I usually put it in the privacy policy and the purchase policy. So usually you'll see the same um, cookie policy in both places. Um, just to let people know well, you want to put it in the privacy because you want to let people know how you use cookies. Um, and, you know, a lot of times now with the webs, you know, you put in there, you have to agree or don't agree. And if you don't agree, sometimes they won't let you even, you know, come in and stuff like that. And you can be, you know, as mean about it as you want to. But I definitely think that you have to have a cookie policies because, you know, your track it's tracking. And so whenever you're using like something like Facebook's Pixel, you know, Google um, ads, Google tracking, you know, it's a lot of tracking devices that you have um, out there that are kind of scary almost sometimes when you you know, look and see what it does. It's good for analytics, but it's not great for privacy. You got to put that stuff in your policies and let people know how you're tracking them. Yeah, I think now people are more aware of cookies and what is happening on websites. Whereas I remember having a conversation with my dad a few years ago and he was like, how do they know I was looking at that online? (laughs) (laughs) What is this magic? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I think now people are more aware. And 
I know that in the UK, especially with those cookie pop-ups are really annoying. They're uh, very annoying. Sometimes it won't let you do anything else on the site, right? Until uh, you you like, can't see anything and like until you either accept all. And if you don't accept all, you're not watching looking at this site. Yeah. Some of them will let you manage it, some of them will let you do it. So you never really know. Um, but they are a very obnoxious for sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so when do you need these policies in place? So I think you need these three policies in place when you get a website. I mean, honestly, you have to have them there. A lot of a lot of larger companies won't even allow you to do business with them when you don't have your own privacy policy. So I know Facebook, you can't like connect to the um, use the pixels and you can't use like the some of the commerce things unless you have a privacy policy on your site. Google is kind of that way with some things. A lot of you know companies require you to do that. So as soon as you're getting your website and you're going to sell anything from the website, specifically if you're going to sell some things um, from the website, you should ha- or collect or collect um, information, even if you're not selling, but you're collecting emails and starting a list and all that kind of stuff. You should definitely have um, these policies um, in place. So you should have them as soon as you, know, you have a website um, up or you're doing anything that's e-commerce, which is everybody, right? Um, you, should, you should have these privacy policies in place. Yeah. So as soon as possible, no excuses. No excuses. I mean, really, honestly, you you should be able to have these things and that should be something important. And I think, you know, the days are gone, I think, for small businesses to think that they are insulated from liability because they're small. That is not the case anymore. Um, and so anyone for any reason um, can, you know, be sued and not just by other companies, but the government itself, because you're not following following the policies. Um, and so you really have to make sure that you do so. And that these things, I think, are, are really important um, with regards to these policies that you, you do these things um, to protect your business and you should do it from the beginning. Yes, absolutely. And it it frustrates me when people say I haven't got the money or um, I'm not making enough money in my business yet or something along those lines. And I'm like, well, don't run a business then because (laughs) setting up a business is expensive. If you were setting up a bricks and mortar business, there are a lot of outgoing costs to start with. Setting up a business that is online, a website is a lot cheaper, but there are still costs associated with it absolutely yeah I mean it really is it's still you know there's still investment that has to be made um and I think a lot of people you know don't see that um we could talk about reasons for that later but um, (laughs) I mean I think that you know when it comes to you know what you need to have to start your business I mean I think making sure that you have that legal part um of your business is important and necessary um for you to run it. it it definitely is yeah. So what else do they need to have? They so they've got their privacy policy, a web policy, and what was the other terms one? Terms of use. Terms, terms of, of use. use yes. Terms of use policy and a purchase policy. What yeah. else do they need? So um I really if you're hiring independent contractors, you definitely need an independent contractor agreement. So many times I see people who don't have these agreements. And so it kind of works both ways, right? Like if I'm hiring you to, you know, do my social media, you may have your own contract. Um that, um, you know, governs how I work with you and that's fine. So then I really don't need to have an independent contractor agreement with you. So, you know, you have your own contract, but sometimes I might hire somebody, they don't have a contract really themselves. Um, and 
I need something more robust. I know for my VA, I, I use a service um, and her, she didn't really have a good confidentiality policy. And I was like, you know, hey, I deal with a lot of confidential, you know, information with my clients. Um, I cannot have you going out here and doing any kind of thing. We have to ensure that we keep this in-house. And so I need a separate, you know, confidentiality policy. So, I mean, you have to really kind of look at how you are doing business, but you should definitely have contracts with your independent contractors. Um, and if theirs is not sufficient for what your business needs, then you need to have your own ready and prepared to have them signed. So that's something that should definitely be there. And then I talked about the confidentiality policy, um, which would be, you know, number five, kind of as a tack on, um, I know I kind of combined both of those, but I think really that's another thing that you have is that especially when you're dealing with client information, if you're doing client services and your clients have an expectation of confidentiality about how you're handling their files, you should definitely be making sure that your independent contractors sign a confidentiality agreement um, and to ensure that the information that they are accessing, that they keep confidential as well. Yeah, I think that is key the confidentiality agreement the other thing that i've added into my contracts before is um a non-compete clause mm -hmm. so that they can't steal my if you're especially if you're hiring a va or something and they're working with some of your clients um that they can't compete with you um uh, for mm -hmm. a certain amount of time and i found that really useful to have in my contracts as well luckily I never needed to use it um, <laughs> but it's just yeah. confident confident uh, makes it more confident makes me feel more confident that's the word I'm looking yeah. for yeah. um that no, I don't have to deal with that if it's already in in the contract and ready to go um yeah do you find that there you anybody ever has issues signing those sorts of things those independent contractors or confidentiality agreements have you ever had anything go Oh, no. I mean, I think when people have issues is because they don't understand what it is that they're signing or what it is that they're giving. So I will often have clients, they'll ask me to draft a contract. I'll draft a contract. I'm dealing with this now, right? I draft a contract, it's 10 pages. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's so long. How am I going to explain this to my clients? And I'm like, you know, listen, first of all, 10 pages is not really a long contract. Number two, um, if you know what's there then they and you can explain it, then it's not really a problem. People understand generally the concept of contracts. It's not really a scary thing. Um, it's not really something that's unknown. People sign contracts all the time. And I guarantee you, people like you sign your insurance papers and you have no idea even what's in there. You just sign them, right? Like you don't know. Um, so people sign contracts all the time. The idea of contracts isn't scary. I think what's scary is that people, the people that are asking somebody else to sign them don't understand what's in them right mm. because you've taken yeah. them from somewhere else you you know you copied it you copied and pasted you don't even understand what you wrote um and then you're giving it to somebody else to interpret what it is you think that, that you mean and so it becomes confusing so what i tell people is that when you have a well-drafted contract it's not scary um and when the contract is drafted well and you can look at it and you can say this is how we work and this is what the contract reflects it's not scary. When you say one thing and your contract says another, that's when it becomes a problem. When your contract is incoherent, right? And I've read contracts and I'm like, I don't even know what this says. Um, I'm not, you know, my client, I'm telling my client, don't sign this. This doesn't even make sense. You know, those kinds of things. 
that's when it becomes scary. But when you have a well-drafted contract, it's not scary. Um, and it's very easy to read. What you said you're going to do is in the contract and there's no contradiction. Those kinds of things make it easy to sign. So I just feel, you know, that the saying that, you know, it's scary or that you won't have people sign it, I think it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, there's some things that, you know, I won't sign because I don't agree with the terminology. Yeah, and that's okay. Um, I think that there might be some times where people aren't going to agree to the terms that you want. But I think that that's important to know, because in my opinion, if this is the terms and this is the way you work and people don't want to work with you that way, well, then maybe they need to be somewhere else. And it does it doesn't make it a bad thing. I think that sometimes if you can't agree on terms, you just can't agree on terms. And, you know, it's it just means that you're not meant to work together at this point, you know. Yeah, I know I've looked at contracts that um, clients have sent me in the past to sign and I've gone, uh, this clause doesn't look right. Can you explain that? And they're like, oh, I don't know, just sign it. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you need to explain what you mean by this clause. And they're like, I don't know what it what it means. I'm like, right, well, if you don't know, I don't know. And I'm not signing it. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah, and like, and if you have like a, you know, a team, your team needs to understand what the contract says and what it means, you know, and it's like, oh, our lawyer just drafted it, you know, just sign it. Well, no, I mean, like, I, I think like there's some liability waivers out there um, that are good and there's, you know, make people nervous and they're like, I don't want to sign that. And I'm like, okay, well, if you don't want to sign it, then you just can't do business here. I mean, that's yeah. okay. But you need to be able to explain to people what it says and sometimes people don't understand what it says and what it means and so if you can't explain it that's a problem and I think um that's probably where the pro the issues start is that you have no idea what your contract's saying in the first place yeah one thing that I found uh has been important for me in contracts is having a definition of terms so that whether especially in in my industry if you're if you're getting leads or uh, what the definition of that lead is and making sure that that is clear in the contract because I've had clients in the past that have come back to me and said, I'm not paying. And I'm like, but I delivered as per contract and it's gone through court and I've won because it the definition is there and I have delivered on per def definition of what is said <laughs> in the contract. So I'm like, it's there. It's, what you do with that said lead is up to you. Right. But the definition of the lead that I have delivered is written in the contract. And that has been really helpful for me. Yeah. I mean, it all comes with clarity, right? Like you all, when you read it, that we all know what we're talking about and what that means. And sometimes you do need to define things. Sometimes you don't have to define things, but you do need to explain it. And so I think, you know, using real world language, um, being clear about what it is that you're expecting, that when everybody reads it, I mean, the way I usually explain contracts is that you have to see when somebody that isn't involved with the transaction, when they read it, they understand what's supposed to happen, right? Yeah. So if you have a judge or some random person that's reading it, they know what's supposed to happen. If they read it and they don't know what's supposed to happen, then the contract's not clear. And that's just, <laughs> yes. I think that's the easiest way to, to say that. If somebody who has no idea what's going on reads it and has no idea what's going on, then that's a problem with the contract. Yeah. So when you draft these contracts for clients, do you draft them based on templates or are they drafted fresh with all of the information from the client? 
So what I do is I start with a base for most of them. Sometimes there are, there are times where I have to create a whole new contract, right? Like it doesn't really exist. And so we have to kind of cut and paste and create something that makes work. But I usually try to start from a base. Um, and then with that base, you know, utilize, um, you know, what the client wants um, in order to make sure it works for their particular needs. So, you know, I'm just using, you know, again, going back to an independent contractor agreement where you may have a base and there's some, you know, standard information that's going to go in there. But the way the client does business may be different. The way they accept payments, you know, might be different. Their timelines are going to be different. Um, you know, how they utilize words, you know, their terms may be a little bit different. So you have to kind of customize it to fit, um, those particular needs of the client. So yeah, I think any, you know, attorney is going to start from something, right? You know, you're just making words yeah. up out of the air, right? <laughs> like you just, you're starting from something, um, you know, and then you, you build upon that, you know, based on the client's needs. Nice. And do you build all of this stuff for clients? Can, can somebody listen and be like, okay, Shahara, I need everything. Like sort <laughs> me out. I got nothing. <laughs> can, can they be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I created um, this company called Contracts Done Right, um, and that's right, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, Contracts Done Right. Um, we just launched, and um, it is um, templated um, legal um templated contracts and um, documents for small business owners who want to, you know, have, again, something that they can use and take in and kind of plug and play. Um, and I drafted these contracts. These are contracts um, that I've used, you know, over the 20 years that I've, you know, been in business, kind of cleaned them up, made it easy for you to be able to customize yourself and, and, and do what you need to do in order to make sure that, that that it works for you. So that's one way I think that anybody can get in if you don't have a really big budget for, you know, a lawyer and have somebody to kind of customize it for you. I think these are great templates um, for that because I, you know, these are templates that I start with. So I even use them myself and say, okay, this is what I'm starting from to be able to um, build for my clients. So um, you can go to contracts and write get um, dot com contracts and com and you can get these templates for customized templates i mean customized contracts obviously that's going to be a lot more expensive right because you just going to have to make sure it's tailored to your needs. So I like to kind of describe it as going to a department store, right? And getting something off the rack. Um, and you can, you know, it'll fit. It fits well, you know what I'm saying? But it's not going to be a perfect fit where, you know, you know, terribly tailored to your body versus going to a tailor um, and having something tailored, you know, to fit your body perfectly. Obviously, a tailor is going to be more expensive and it's going to take a little bit more time, but it fits for you perfectly. So I think you have to kind of decide what you want. Um, you know, the off the rack um, contracts work well, um, you know, when they're well made, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It all, of course, quality depends on where you get it from and all that kind of stuff. They work well, but sometimes con um, businesses need something much more tailored. And so you can definitely get that. So the answer to your question is that, you know, we have stuff available for, um, you know, wherever you are in your business. If you, you know, can't really afford to have a tailored contract, we have contracts done right for you. If you need a tailored contract specifically for your needs and your business needs and how you do business, we can definitely do that as well. Awesome. And we'll drop the links down in the show notes for anybody listening and 
they can go straight there. You also mentioned that you have a freebie text-in number. Explain what that is and how people can access it. Yes, I'm going to provide you with a number so you guys will see that um, uh, along with the links where you can text in. And it's a, a, a guide that I wrote um, several years ago that got published in a magazine um, and that I give out, you know, a lot to people who really like it and it talks about, you know, how to grow your business, but not from this, um, you know, we'll build a sustainable business, but not from like, you know, this one, two step three of, you know, selling, but really ensuring that you have, you know, your, your entity correct, um, ensuring you have your independent contractors, making sure you do strategic planning, making sure you have a CEO, um, a CFO, I'm sorry, someone, you know, or accountant, somebody like that for your business. So it talks about these things about ensuring that your business is sustainable. Um, and so it's really popular. Lots of people love it. I give it as a free resource because I really think that people, um, need to know, um, uh, these things. So it's an eight-step guide to growing a sustainable business. And so um, that's what we're getting for free. Awesome. So I'll pop that in the show notes as well, and you guys can get that. I want to make sure that everybody knows this is US law, right? So anybody elsewhere, <laughs> this you still need all these color, all these policies, but you'll have to find a lawyer in your country to be able to deliver those um, because this is US-based law. Yes. Thank you so much for saying that. Yes. <laughs> and sort of make sure before you have a whole bunch of English people coming your way or right. yeah. listeners all over the world. So from wherever they're listening, we're like, oh, yeah, go to see Shahara. So just US based people go and access these and uh, UK based or any other country, find a lawyer in your state or country, but you will still need all of these documents. So yes. Yes. <laughs> still yes. going to apply everywhere. Yes. Yeah, so still go find them. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have really, really enjoyed it. I know I've got so much value from you as well, and it's been a great chat, so thank you so much. Is there anything that you came to say that our listeners need to hear from you that you haven't had a chance to say yet? Um, I think we said everything. I just want to encourage you guys that as you're starting business, I know that it can be very overwhelming and, you know, all of these different things that you have to do. But I just say, you know, utilize the professionals around you um, and take the time to talk to people and at least get a better understanding of all the things that you need to consider, even if you don't do them all at one time make a plan to, to get them done, you know, over time. So that's all I just want to encourage you guys. And um, I'm glad to see more entrepreneurs out there. Um, it's just a wonderful thing and a wonderful time. Yay. Thank you so much. All right. And we will see everybody else next time for another episode of Scaling with Disha. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And I really hope that you genuinely learned something from today's episode. If you found this episode useful, then please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. I personally read each and every one. Until next time, bye.